let's uh, bow together. And I just encourage you, if, if you believe that, if you would say that Jesus Christ is your living hope today, just to take a minute to, to worship Him and to praise Him and thank Him that that's who He is and that's what He has uh, done for you in, in your life. Just to acknowledge the greatness of His name, the amazing grace that, that He gives us. And then after you do that, I'd encourage you, we're going to be talking about anger and forgiveness today. And I'd encourage you to just to ask the Lord to show you if there's something in your life that you need to let go of, someone you need to forgive, something inside of you that you need to deal with, and to ask Him to give you the grace to do that if He shows you something today. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for the hope that you give us. We thank you that you sacrificed yourself so that uh, we could have life. We thank you that uh, you love us unconditionally. And Lord, we uh, acknowledge, Father, that you are a holy and a righteous God. And because of that, you're a God of wrath who punishes sin. But Jesus, we thank you that you uh, came and bore our punishment, that you propitiated, that you absorbed the wrath of God so that we can be called children of God, so that we don't have to live in a fear of you, in a dread of you, but that we can live in an awe of you, both for who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray in this time this morning that you'd speak to us, that you'd deal with us, that you'd convict us, that you would teach us. And Lord, if there's things that we need to lay down, things that we need to make right, things uh, that we need to let go of, if there's uh, something we need to forgive or be forgiven of, Lord, I pray that you give us the grace to respond and to repent um, because of your word. And Lord, we just pray that uh, your spirit would work and, and, and speak to us and uh, just do what's needed in each of us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, you can head out to your classes and everybody else. Uh, welcome again. We're glad you're here. I uh, appreciate everyone who's joining us online, and uh, if you got a Bible or device or whatever, can you guess where you need to turn? Wow, you guys are so discerning and spiritually perceptive, it's, it's impressive. All right, so uh, uh, weird, weird sermon title for you this morning. The title of the sermon is, You Mad Bro. And, um, I mean, this certainly did not uh, originate with them, but over the years, my kids, if they noticed that one uh, or the other was mad about something, to kind of tweak the other, to kind of stir the pot somewhat, their favorite phrase to say was, you mad, bro, uh, is what they would like to say to each other, which was always helpful in solving the problem, Right. Pour a little gasoline on the fire instead of a little water on the fire, I guess. But, um, you know, if, if we asked that question, are you mad, bro, and gave an honest answer, a lot of people would need to say yes. I think we live in an angry age. You think that's true? And uh, about the only people that profit off of that are doctors and psychologists. Uh, it's, it's harmful for the rest of us. I mean, you turn on the TV. You know, I mean, you go to, you know, you watch CNN, they're mad about one thing, and you go to Fox, they're mad about something else, right? If you don't want to experience anger, don't spend any time on Twitter. Uh, half of what Twitter is is people flaming each other over stupid stuff. We, we live in, in an angry age, and I, I think if we're honest, um, you know, all of us, deal with anger in some different ways at some different times, maybe to different degrees. There's uh, probably a, you know, a scale here. But, uh, you know, probably for us men, anger is about the only emotion we're in touch with. <laughs> right? I, I mean, anger may be the only emotion that I'm qualified to preach on or maybe I'm disqualified uh, to, to preach on. I, I don't know. But uh, um, we, we deal with anger in, in, in our lives. And I just want to start maybe a couple of examples, maybe a, a couple of different ways that, that anger can, can manifest itself. Sometimes anger is bitterness, it's resentment that's kind of 
you know, under the surface, but it's there, it's affecting us, it's affecting relationships, and can, you know, end up causing us at times to do uh, dumb things that we normally shouldn't do. I mean, maybe in your life today, if you're honest, maybe people looked at you on the outside, they wouldn't think you're an angry person, but down deep on the inside, there's some people that you're kind of ticked off at. Uh, there, there, there's just something, there's some things that you're holding in. There's some things that you're holding against uh, other people. Let me give you an example. This is from a Newsweek article back in 1997. Earl Pitts, former uh, future farmer of America, army captain, FBI agent, and more recently spy for the KB, KGB, stood before the judge to receive his sentence. Only the second spy in the Cold War or uh, post-Cold War era within the FBI to be convicted of spying. Mr. Pitt's federal court judge, T.S. Ellis III, said last week, I have just one question. Why did you do it? Pitts, looking pasty and worn in an olive drab jumpsuit with prisoner stenciled on the back, hesitated. And his answer was, quote, I gave in to an unreasoning anger. I gave in to an unreasoning anger. The judge was uh, contemptuous. Uh, you never mentioned simple greed, he told Pitts, and sentenced him to 27 years in, in, in prison. Uh, two FBI officials who caught their own through an elaborate sting operation uh, last year, greed is enough to explain why Pitts sold out the Bureau and his country for $224,000 during the seven years he was secretly spying for the Russian intelligence uh, service. But for Pitts, who calls his own crime loathsome, he says that greed is a simplistic and insulting explanation. Nor does ideology account for his betrayal. Pitts always uh, regarded himself as a patriot. So uh, the real reasons are more complex. And basically, he kind of allowed himself to be studied as a case study in why somebody would do something like this. And so uh, the man writing this article says what pushed him to such a desperate act. So he paid his way through college and law school and served as a military policeman for six years before joining the FBI, which was his lifelong ambition. And, and he was, however, uh, constantly afraid of failing, he told this uh, psychologist. And so his first job with the FBI as an agent operating alone in rural Virginia, he called frustrating, wasn't able to accomplish a whole lot then he was transferred to the FBI's New York office uh, with the job of trying to catch uh, Russian spies. And so uh, he says the work sounds intriguing, but pissed off the office was overstaffed. And like many other junior FBI agents, he felt that a $25,000 salary uh, was too little to live on in New York City. And so... Uh, you know, he's angry, uh, you know, he says, burdened with debt from student loans, had to ask his father for a loan, he said he felt humiliated, uh, and he later told the, the, the psychologist that he was overwhelmed by a sense of rage uh, the, at the FBI. And so Pitt's psychological profile is not very different from many other disgruntled federal workers, but a fatal combination of circumstances pushed him over the edge. Lying awake before dawn one morning, he had an inspiration. He would self-recruit as a spy for the KGB. That way, Pitts figured he could get out of the money jam and get back at his bosses. I was shoved by the bureaucracy, and I shoved back. Trying to explain it later, Pitts compared his treason to suicide. Once again, he said, I gave in to an unreasoning an unreasonable anger. So I just wonder, there's something just inside of us. You know, sometimes when people seem to explode out of the blue, what have they been carrying for years? So, you know, that's one kind of anger, is just kind of bitterness smoldering under the surface. You know, another kind of anger is something like a temper tantrum. Right? It just kind of happens just like that. 
can, can I tell you about one of my uh, probably least pastoral moments as a pastor of True Life Church? Now, it didn't happen while I was, quote, on the job, but one of the problems of being a pastor is you're always a pastor, right? You're, you're always on the job. So um, I was playing basketball this, I don't know, three years ago, maybe something like two or three years ago, and, uh, you know, sports get men in trouble, right? Just, it's not a good combination sometimes. But anyway, so playing basketball, and it was me and Molly were playing with Nathaniel and one, I think it was Joy, one of his sisters. Some of the other Baird kids uh, were there, and um, I, think, I think you guys were dating then, if I remember this right, probably early on in it. And so we're playing basketball, and um, Nathaniel is guarding me. And if you ever heard me call Nathaniel, who's my son-in-law now, Natron, it's because it's short for like half man, half machine. And, and if you've ever seen him work or play sports, you would understand it. He, he's a great athlete. But I don't know that his knowledge of basketball at this point in time measured up to his athletic ability. So Nate is guarding me, and I'm like dribbling the ball with my left hand and, and trying to drive, and he's kind of on uh, my right side. And so he, just, he gets a little overzealous, and he decides to dive across me to try to steal the ball from me. And so you don't do this when you're playing basketball because, like, the, you, you, like, you step and you plant your leg and somebody dives into your leg, you're probably having knee surgery. I've already had knee surgery, <laughs> so I'm a little sensitive about my knees. And so Nate does this, and by the grace of God, he misses my legs by about an eighth of an inch, which is good for me and probably good for him too because... I don't know if I'd be calling him son-in-law today if it weren't for that eighth of an inch of, of a difference. And so he doesn't actually, like, hit my legs. He kind of lands on the ground. I kind of fall over him and, and, and trip. And, and, and I get up, and I'm, I'm mad, and I take the ball, and I just throw it as hard as I can against the wall. I didn't throw it at him or anybody else. I don't know if I really said anything. Maybe I did. I, I don't remember but I'm sure there's bared kids that are there with like their mouths open thinking, our pastor is going to kill my brother right now. <laughs> um, not one of my more shining pastoral moments, uh, probably. Uh, but sometimes we just kind of, I mean, I'm playing basketball, having fun. It just happened in a second. And then what do you do? You feel stupid, you say you're sorry, and... Move on with life, you know. You finish the basketball game, at least if you're a guy. I, I, women, it would probably be a different story as to how this would play out. But um, So sometimes anger is just kind of an explosion. But, um, you know, the, so, but the question is, how do we deal with anger? And um, we're going to look at it back in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And, um, you know, anger is hard to understand. It's complex, like most of our emotions are. And, and when it comes to emotions, like I say, I'm no expert on that. But my belief about emotions are emotions are kind of a symptom of the soul. Our, our emotions show us what's going down, going on down deep on the inside. And part of why this is hard to understand, even biblically, is, is what we're going to look at today it almost seems like there's a contradictory command in here. There's two different commands. And in one verse, he tells us to be angry. In another verse, he tells us to put off all anger. And so something I think that we need to understand today that I don't think a lot of Christians get is that there is a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger. Anger is not necessarily sinful. It can be. But in some cases, it could actually be sinful to not be angry. I hope if you didn't know that, that you learned that today. So we're going to talk about righteous anger. We're going to talk about unrighteous anger. We're going to talk about 
you know, what each needs to look like, how you can be angry uh, righteously without actually uh, sinning, uh, you know, what it looks like to put off unrighteous anger and what God tells us to put on in its place. And so remember the context from the second half of Ephesians. It talks about walking out, living out what Jesus has done for us. And, you know, we talked about last week how 4, 17 through 32 is a section, it's a unit. And in 4, 17 through 24, he's teaching us that we're new in Christ, we're a new person in Christ, but to live that out where our practice matches up to our position. We're to put off the old man, we're to put on the new. We do this through the renewing of our minds. So what I want to try to help us to do today is to think differently about anger so we can live differently when it comes to anger in our lives. Remember, 25 through 32 are some very practical applications of these principles that he gives, these, these commands in, in 17 through 24. Last week, we talked about a new person in Christ is to be an honest person. We're to put off lying, and we are to put on truth. So, With that said, let's read, uh, we'll pick up at verse 26, and and we'll read through verse 32, although uh, we're going to look at really verses 26 and 27, and then verses 31 and and, and 32. So Ephesians uh, 4, 26, he, he says, be angry and do not sin, which is a quote from the Old Testament, but it's also in the Greek an imperative. That is a command. Do you see that? He says, be angry, but not sin in being angry. So there is a time to be angry. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, which is one of the qualifiers here. He says, nor give place to the devil. Don't give Satan a foothold, a beachhead in your life, which could be through anything, but specifically in the context here, through anger. And I would imagine there are some of you that Satan has a foothold in your life today because you're angry. And we'll explore that. Then skip ahead to to verse uh, 31. He he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, basically, we're going to look at two big things today. How to think biblically in regard to anger, and then how to live biblically in regard to anger, because we believe that Scripture, you know, not a psychological manual, not what the world says to us, but Scripture is both sufficient and authoritative for every area of our lives that God speaks to directly, and which He does very directly here. So, let's... Talk about how to think biblically in regard to anger. So, number one, there is a righteous anger that is commanded. Verse 26, be angry. You say, why would God tell us to be angry? How could it be right to be angry? Well, first of all, we have to understand, you know, that what makes things right and wrong is the nature and character of God. We talked about this last week. Why is it wrong to lie? Because God is truth. Why is it wrong to commit adultery? Because God is faithful. And and, and so on and and, and so forth. Why is it wrong to have idols? Because God is above all and he's a jealous God. And he's worthy of first in our lives in in, in every way. The, The character and nature of God defines reality. It defines truth and falsehood. It defines right and wrong. God's commands are not arbitrary, but they're an expression of who he is, both his holiness and his love. And so they define what's right and wrong, and they also define what's best for us. Does that make sense? That's kind of the why behind the what when it comes to morality. And so it's right to be angry sometimes, Because God is righteously angry. The Bible tells us he's a God of wrath. And and that that bugs some people. Like, I want a God of love. Well, first, we want to get to pick who he is. He's not a buffet line kind of God. He's not a -a Build-A-Bear God. Uh, He is who he is. Uh, But even beyond that, would you really want a God that's not righteously angry with sin? 
I mean, think about that for a second. You want a God that's not bothered by rape and murder and child molestation and, and genocide and, and the injustice in the world? I mean, is that really the kind of God you want to worship? But see, here's the thing, though. We can't pick and choose. We want God to be angry about some things that bother us. And then he wants some, we want him a lot of times to let some things, particularly the things that we do, slide. But the Bible says in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. God's a God of wrath. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides on him. See, here's one of the things you need to understand if you're actually going to understand the gospel. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of a holy God. And God is righteously angry with us as sinners. His wrath is directed against us. But Jesus stepped in. And on the cross, he absorbed that wrath. And that's how we can be forgiven. And that's the only reason why God would not be angry with us. 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's what propitiation is. That Jesus satisfied the righteous wrath of God. So it, it, it can't always be wrong to be angry because God gets angry. Let me take it a step farther. Well, let me set this up with a question. Did Jesus ever sin? Did Jesus ever get angry? He did. Let's look at an example. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Jesus was angry by their sin, at their sin. He was grieved, it says, by the hardness of their hearts, by their unbelief, and them using religion uh, as a means to try to keep someone from being healed, using religion for their own selfish ends instead of for the good uh, of people. But notice, Jesus' anger was translated into action of helping and blessing someone. There's another example. I won't take the time to read it, but in John chapter 2, remember when Jesus ran the money changers out of the temple? And, you know, he, he made a, a whip, and it, 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 the, the disciples quoted a verse, you know, zeal for his house has, has, has eaten him up. He was overcome with passion, with a righteous indignation of how they were misusing their father's house. Now, does this mean, you know, we should make a whip and run people out of the church if we see them doing something wrong? Uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, we're not Jesus, okay? We're not that holy, our motives may be a little wrong, so don't take this too far. Uh, but you get the point. Jesus was righteously angry. He was angry, but he didn't sin. Now, what made his anger righteous? Well, he was angry about sin, about unbelief, about the hardness of people's hearts. It, it, it was zeal for his father's glory. It wasn't about him. It wasn't prideful anger. It wasn't selfish anger. It wasn't petty anger. Remember on the cross when he was being so mistreated, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So righteous anger is anger that is about sin. It's about unbelief. It's, it's, it's not about us. It's for the glory of God. It's, it's, it's about concern for people. Uh, the famous church father, John Chrysostom, said, It is true that he that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause also sins. There's some things we ought to get angry about. I mean, abuse, sin, unbelief, th these kind of things, people being hurt, people being harmed. Um, 
I, I mean, like I say, I think sometimes uh, we, we, I mean, there's extremes within the, the, the Christian life. I mean, some people act like it's all just this fuzzy and warm, emotional kind of thing, all about how you feel, and that's not true. And there's people on the other extreme that think, you know, Christians are supposed to be robots and not feel anything. The truth is somewhere in the middle. The reality is there are some things that when they happen, if they don't bother us, something's wrong with us. But I think a lot of times what we're guilty of is we get all up in the air about silly little things and uh, things that don't mean anything in the light of eternity and just float through life oblivious to things that really matter. I mean, I bet there's more people in East Tennessee right now that are ticked off at Jeremy Pruitt and the, East, and the UT football program than there are about dying churches and the opioid crisis and people being abused and people dying and going to hell. It's backwards. And listen, I understand we're human beings. We have pet peeves. And there's things that bother us. I'm just saying I think we need some perspective on what's really important. Does that make sense? I mean, you know, I'm human, you know, working on this message this week, you know, thinking about anger. And then I'm leaving here one day. And, you know, like when you, when you leave here, if you go out this entrance, not the, you know, the newer entrance down here on our adjoining property, and you're going towards Morristown, you know, you got to go up here and go into media and turn around and go left. Well, this is one of my pet peeves. Well, no, you probably don't really care, but this is one of my pet peeves. About half the time when you are you know, trying to turn left, turn around in that median there, if there's someone who's coming out on the road from the other side at the same time, apparently people don't know that the person already out on the highway always has right-of-way over the person pulling out into the road. And so I personally think if you don't know that, you should go back and have to take your driving permit test all over again. It's dangerous, okay? And so, you know, I'm studying about anger. Do this one day this week in the meeting, somebody pulls out, and I have to be like, okay, don't say it, don't think it, don't do anything, because we get up in the air about little things. And like I say, that's just kind of a reaction, but how bothered are we by things that really matter? That's my question. Okay, now you say, well, okay, we're supposed to get righteously angry, but, you know, I'm not Jesus. Well, let me give you an example in Scripture of somebody non-Jesus who did this well. If you look in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, and, of course, Nehemiah is leading them in, in, in rebuilding the wall. And, uh, you know, they faced opposition without, but now they have a problem from within. It says here there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. Uh, there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. There were also uh, those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and, and, and vineyards. Uh, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It's not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. In other words, the problem was they were acting like the Gentiles, and people, uh, their own people were being forced into debt slavery. It was wrong. Notice Nehemiah's response. He says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. But then notice what he did. After serious thought. So what did he do? He didn't do anything right away. Right? Usually when we act in anger, don't we almost end up regretting it? I can only think of one time in 23 years of being a pastor that I've ever done something in anger that I didn't regret. And that one time was just a woman who had been so exasperating for so long, this wasn't a true life, that there wasn't pretty much any other choice at that point in time. Every other time, 
regretted it. So just stop, think about it, pray about it, but don't ignore it. He said, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren and sold the nations. Now will you indeed even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also with my brethren and my servants, of lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury, and so on and so forth. Basically, they all agreed. They fixed the problem. So notice what he did. He got mad because it was wrong, but he, he stopped and he thought it through before he did anything. But then he addressed the problem very forthrightly, and, but he included himself in it. He wasn't just you know, straightening everybody else out. He looked at the mirror, in the mirror, dealt with his own issues, but he made a difference. Listen, if, if, if we have righteous anger, the idea is for that anger to lead to action for us to actually solve a problem and make a difference. In fact, I would say if there's a problem in the world that you're angry about, that's probably a sign that God is calling you to do something about it. It's not enough to complain about it, to gripe about it, to post on social media about it. Make a difference. That's how we put righteous anger into action. And if it's righteous anger, I think it's going to produce uh, action. So that's the first command. Second command, though, is that there is an unrighteous anger that we're to put off. I mean, look again at, at verse 31. Um, he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And, and so, let, let's maybe define these words, okay? Bitterness involves harboring resentment from the past. This would be the FBI agent kind of anger. Uh, wrath is kind of like an outburst of anger, a temper tantrum, kind of like me throwing the basketball at the wall. Anger is kind of a general word for anger. Uh, clamor is, means yelling, basically. Now, I want you to notice the progression here. Uh, evil speaking basically means slander or abusive speech. And, and, and malice is just kind of a general heart attitude that lies behind all of this. And, and so, I want you to see that there's a progression here from resentment to wrath, to, to evil speaking, with this idea of malice behind it. And so the idea is, if we're angry, we don't deal with it in the right way, it's probably going to come out in sinful outward ways that's going to end up affecting relationships. Does that make sense? And, and so, um, you know, maybe an example would be, um, well, Robin, my wife, and I, Probably one of the strengths of our marriage is we don't argue very much. Um, it's fairly rare. The last one that we remember, maybe something's happened since then, was about two months ago. And um, what we actually argued about was how you tie the tie on a garbage bag. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I was wrong. <laughs> She said I had to say that to use this illustration. Um, you all have silly arguments like that too, don't you? But was that really what the argument was about? No. It was about other things that had led up to this, and the garbage bag was just the, the match that lit the powder keg. So... You know, if we're not dealing with our anger, it's going to come out in outward ways. It's, it's going to, you know, grow in, uh, you know, to, to other things. And so he tells us, you know, these things, uh, this kind of anger that's selfish and prideful, and, and it's about us, and it's about us wanting our own way, and, and it's expressed in these outward kind of ways. You know, he says to put this off. You know, he's saying repent of bitterness, uh, repent of temper, temper tantrums. Repent of, of yelling and this kind of evil speaking. Repent of an attitude of, uh, of malice. 
And so, uh, you know, St. Augustine said this. He said, the root of our sinfulness is disordered loves. And J.D. Greer explained this in this context by saying, if what we love is messed up, then what our anger, then our anger is going to be messed up as well. And so the idea is this. If we love God first, we're going to be angry about what bothers him. If we love ourselves first, we're going to be angry about what bothers us. And that's one of the ways that you tell uh, if something's righteous anger or unrighteous anger. You know, what we get mad about reveals what our idols are. If we're honest, a lot of times we get mad uh, when our comfort is threatened, when our security is threatened, when our appearance is threatened, when our material things are threatened, when our sense of control is threatened. Uh, those kind of things are often what anger us. And, the, and, and when that happens, it reveals a lot about what our hearts are. So, you know, change our lives by change our thinking. Renew our minds. Think differently uh, about anger. And now let's talk about how to act biblically in, in regard to anger. So, first of all, he tells us to put off unrighteous anger. These things we just looked at in verse 31. Bitterness, uh, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. We, we, we need to repent of these things. Ask for God's forgiveness. Deal with the root issues that produce this. Maybe go apologize to somebody else. Go talk through a situation with somebody else. Make something right with somebody else. Get help in, in, in processing uh, a situation. There, there's a Christian psychologist, author, wrote a book about Christian counseling called Gary Collins. He says, basically, when it comes to anger, we can either repress it, uh, which, you know, we just pretend like it's not there. We can suppress it. We admit it's there, but we don't show anybody else uh, that it's there. We can express it, which is sometimes in harmless ways, sometimes in hurtful ways. Or we can actually confess it to God and other people and actually deal with it. So, if you're honest today, is there some anger, some bitterness, some unforgiveness in your life? That you need to deal with. Okay? So, number one, we put off unrighteous anger. But number two, we also put off uh, wrong expressions of righteous anger. Remember what he said? He said, be angry, but do not sin. He, he, he gives three qualifiers here for being righteously angry. He says, number one, do not sin in our anger. In other words, even if the, the root of our anger, anger is righteous, we need to be really careful with it. Because if we express it in the wrong way, if it comes out in evil speech, in wrong attitudes, in mistreatment of people, even if the cause is righteous, if the expression is unrighteous, it's still sin. Aristotle, the famous philosopher, said this. He said, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, and for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not easy. And that's true. So we have to be really careful, even with righteous anger. Don't sin in our righteous anger. Number two, second qualifier is don't continue being angry. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because even if you're righteously angry, if you don't deal with it, if you don't take action about it, if you don't talk to somebody about it, if you don't deal with it, if you, if you stay continually angry, it's going to lead to problems. It leads to problems within ourselves. It leads to problems in relationships. So we got to deal with it, even if there's a right reason. I mean, say somebody has hurt you, mistreated you, wronged you, and you've got a righteous reason to be angry. If you let that continue on, it's going to end up causing a problem for you. You know, the, the saying that unforgiveness is like trying to kill somebody else by us drinking the poison, there's a lot of truth in that. It hurts us more than it hurts the other person. And then he says, don't give Satan an opportunity through the anger, which is what we do if we continue on uh, in that anger. Uh, you know, he says don't give him place. That's how it says it in the New King James. Um, 
Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a, a beachhead. Don't give him a place to operate from. It's literally what he's saying. Like on D-Day, the hardest part of D-Day was establishing a beachhead. I mean, thousands and thousands of American soldiers gave their lives to establish a beachhead on Normandy Beach. Once we established the beachhead and were able to move inland, then at that point it was pretty much, for the most part, just a matter of time because we had a base to operate from. And so what he's saying is this, you know, in, in the Christian life, once we're saved, we're sealed, we're secured, we're, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we can't be possessed by Satan, and Satan can't, you know, cause us to do things anymore. But when uh, there's sin in our lives, when we're not filled with the Spirit, when we're not really walking with the Lord, we're giving Satan place. We're giving him a beachhead. We're giving him uh, a, a base of operations within our lives. And we can do that in a multitude of ways, but what he's talking about here is when we're, there's anger going on inside of us, we're giving Satan a, a base of operations to be able to wreak havoc with the rest of our lives. And some of you, you're trying to serve the Lord, you want to honor the Lord, and you don't understand why you're struggling so much, and I would almost guarantee you that a lot of your struggle is coming from the fact that there's a crack in the a chink in the armor somewhere, and, and you've given Satan an opening, and he's come in, and he's established a base of operations, and maybe for some of you, that chink in the armor, that base, that place you've given him is this issue of anger and unforgiveness. So, he says, put off wrong expressions of even righteous anger. But then, finally, he says, put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness in place of unrighteous anger. So, kindness basically here means grace, like unconditional kindness. So, basically, he's saying here, as a Christian, we're to be kind even if people are unkind to us. He says, put on tenderheartedness. We're to be compassionate, even if people aren't treating us in the right way. And then he says, we're to put on forgiveness. And forgiveness is choosing to not hold something against someone. You know, probably the classic teaching in Scripture on forgiveness, Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and says, someone sins against me, uh, how much should I forgive him? You know, up to, up to seven times. And Jesus said, not up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Basically saying, you don't keep count. You just keep forgiving. And then he told a story to illustrate it where there was a servant who owed the king what would be in our day and time the equivalent of billions of dollars. And he went and he begged for forgiveness and the king forgave him. And then he turned around and, and went and found a man who in today's terminology owed him about $15,000, uh, several hundred thousand times less than what, the other, uh, what he had owed the king. And he went and he had him thrown into debtor's prison because he wasn't paying what uh, was owed him. And then the king, who represents God, heard about it, and he was very angry with him because he had for graciously forgiven this man of an unpayable debt, and now this man was holding something against someone else. Here's uh, the point. Two things. First of all, forgiveness is a wrong, a debt that arises from the wrong, and the cancellation of that debt. That's what forgiveness is, choosing to not hold it against the person anymore. But here's the other point. How can we who have been forgiven at the cross of an unpayable debt hold things that no matter how bad they are in comparison are there is no comparison against that other person. We've been graced to be gracious. We've been forgiven to forgive. That's the point. And listen, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to trust the person. It doesn't automatically mean you're going to reconcile with the person. It takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is an act of obedience. Reconciliation can be very complicated because it involves two people. Reconciliation, in most cases, should be pursued among Christians. There are occasional exceptions to that that we don't have the time to get into. But forgiveness is always commanded. In fact, in verse 32, 
It's a command. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, just real quick, five statements, and I'll close with this. If we're going to put this into practice, we're going to live with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Remember these five things. First of all, we're first sinners before we're sinned against. What I'm saying is this. When we're sinned against, that's wrong, that's hurtful. I'm not trying to minimize that. But we will have a much better attitude if we always remember that we are first sinners. I mean, in marriage, I mean, this has tremendously helped me be a better husband to, to keep this in mind. Because a lot of times what happens in marriage is we want to fix the other person. And we want to look at the other person's faults. And, you know, a lot of times we do marriage counseling as a pastor. Uh, you know, there are very solvable issues. But the issue is neither person will be grown up enough to make the first move. Somebody's got to make the first move. And if we realize that we're sinners and it's not all the other person, that'll help us to make the first move. Second, we need to stop playing judge and let the judge of the universe do his job. And here's the point. When you forgive someone, you're letting them off of your hook with the realization of they're still on God's hook. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let God deal with them. Let God deal with them. Number three, uh, we obey Jesus because he's our Lord. This is a command, and he set the example for us. Four, we graciously forgive because we have been graciously forgiven and five, we live out what Jesus expects of us by living out of what Jesus has done for us. You say, I don't think I could ever forgive. I mean, I've got reason to be angry. And maybe you do. You say, this is too much. I mean, I just can't do this. And I'm telling you, this is not natural, but it's supernatural. We may not be able to forgive, but through Jesus Christ in us, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can forgive. He can change our hearts. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Surrender to Jesus. Let him be in control. And listen, the past, whatever it's been, doesn't have to define our future. Jesus Christ in us, as he changes our hearts, can write a new future for us. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then notice verses 19 and 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Notice this, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness. There's about seven or eight things there that are sins that result in relational breakdown. The works of the flesh. That's what comes out of us naturally when we're in control. But then, you go down to verse 22. But, here's the contrast. The fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit of God produces in us, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the character qualities that enable us to build lasting healthy relationships. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's Christ in us. We can forgive. We don't have to go around. We can, we can live at peace. Uh, we can have love and joy and, and, and patience and kindness. Not naturally, but supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. And that can define our relationships. We can uh, put off anger. We can put off bitterness. We can stop being bound by our past. And we can live in kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Not naturally, but supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit if we're in Jesus Christ. So sometimes we need to be mad, but we handle it in the right way. Sometimes we need to put off anger and put these things on in its place, but it happens 
through the work of the Holy Spirit. So, are you saved? Is Christ in you? If not, my encouragement to you today would be to repent of your sins and by faith surrender your life to Him. Receive Him into your life. Maybe there's some of you, if you're honest, you need to forgive somebody. You need to let something go. Maybe you need to go talk to somebody about something. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for something. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to try to reconcile. Maybe you need to talk to somebody, a pastor, a church counselor, a friend, your small group leader. Maybe you need to get some help in processing a a situation that's eating you up. I'd encourage you to do that. We're here for you. But I just remind you, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do it on your own. Confess your sins. Surrender. Ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit. Ask Him to give you the the, the grace that you need to change your mind, to change your heart, uh, to empower you to handle this in the right way, in a supernatural way, and not just a natural way. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? And Shane, if you guys will will come, and uh, we're going to sing a song to close with. Maybe as we sing, uh, you know, I'd encourage you to sing to the Lord and worship. But I also encourage you that maybe there's some business you need to do with God. Maybe there's something you need to make right with Him. Maybe you need to come and pray. If you want to come talk to me, that'd be great. If there's somebody you want to find somebody to pray with you, I'd encourage you to do that. If you need to talk to somebody about becoming a Christian, come and see me. Or talk to somebody that you feel comfortable with. Maybe instead of coming forward, maybe you need to leave right now and go talk to somebody. Go call somebody. Text somebody, make an appointment with them this week. There's something you need to talk through. Maybe there's something right now you need to make a conscious choice that I am not going to hold this against that person anymore, that by the grace of God, with the help of Christ, I am going to lay this down, and I'm going to do what it takes to put it in the past. Father, I pray that you would give us, uh, I pray that you give people who need it saving grace, but I pray, God, that you give us the grace Uh, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with others and and to lay down things in our lives that we need to lay down. Lord, I pray that you forgive us. God, I pray that you fill us with your spirit. Lord, fill us with love and peace and joy. God, help us not to be angry people, but people that the world can see something different in, can see your light and and, and your love uh, shining through us as we compassionate and kind and caring toward others and for your namesake, for your glory, I pray that you would bring this about in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.